0: Are you a new or aspiring woman leader that wants to make a successful leap into leadership? Do you want to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so that you can become the kind of leader other people want to follow? Welcome to The Leadership Leap, a show that is all about helping women to become more confident about making the leap into leadership. Now, here is your host, Leanne Pico.
1: Hi there, Liam Pico here, your host. What a great show we have for you today. Um, but before we get into the details of that, I want to just do a little reflection. I don't know about you, but I've been watching the world. And at this time, we're still in COVID-19. And uh, I've been seeing some amazing leadership from women in the world. And I don't know, but I, I think this might be our time. I think uh, there's a, a bit of a clash going on in terms of, you know, we can talk about leadership style, we can talk about leadership impact, um, but when you have a public health crisis in the world, uh, you kind of They have to go together. And so um, it's really interesting that we've seen a kind of a rise in the kind of characteristics that, and again, being careful about generalizations, when we talk about this, we don't mean every single woman or every single man, but there is a feminization of leadership that happens when we need to bring out some characteristics that are typically associated with women leaders things like empathy, things like networking, the ability to collaborate. Um, things you know having the care of people out front it's been very very interesting to watch the rise of women leaders who demonstrate these kinds of characteristics and also and this is what we often don't have are results related to it so if you look at a lot of the countries where women have led and where they have put a public uh, health kind of remit first, you can see the numbers in terms of the numbers of cases of of people getting sick, the numbers of deaths, et cetera. So it's a very interesting um, and uh, horrific, really, uh, thing to have to watch. But, you know, one of the things that we can do is take away the learning and take away some new ideas for how we do leadership, both in the world and in our workplaces. So watch this space and and keep watching. What are the women doing? And, you know, it's inspiring for new and aspiring women leaders to look around and see women world leaders really nailing it in terms of their responses to this crisis. So just wanted to reflect on that and say it's wonderful to have some role models However, we have some role models here for you right directly, too. For today, we have Susan Crawford from Meraki Inspired Coaching and Consulting. And Susan is going to be here uh, just after the break. You need to hang around for this one. Uh, She's going to be talking about self-care with us. And she'll be sharing some really great insights and actionable strategies for looking after ourselves better right now. As the crisis continues, at first, you know, there's a lot of adrenaline, there's a lot of reaction. Now we're moving into potential burnout. So it's really important to pay attention to how you're doing. So Susan is going to help us with that. But first, we're going to talk about passionate leadership. And I love this topic. As we talk, I talk about passion all the time. Um, But and we hear about it all the time and everybody talks about go and find what you're passionate about. But it's really important to understand that passion and passionate leadership comes in many forms. So sometimes we're passionate about something and want to pursue a career in doing that something related to that. Other times we can find the passion in what we're doing and elevate it to help others feel passionate about it, too. My first guest has done both of those things. So I'm excited to introduce you to Catherine Mulvale. And Catherine loves people and proving to almost anyone that the impossible is indeed possible. So when we work together with passion, purpose, and a plan, key part, the plan part. uh, She's helped transform small businesses, national corporations, and charitable foundations. And after being given a 10% chance of surviving a life threatening illness, Catherine began investing her efforts and experience as a patient educator, philanthropist, and entrepreneur to help others. Catherine's also the founder of Dynamite Design, Strategies for Life, and the Global Friends Foundation. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be chatting with you. It's so good to have you here and to talk about this topic. It's one of my favorites. So passion tell us where, That's for sure. It is a great thing. So tell us, tell us about you. Where does your passion for what you
2: do come from? I think my passion really comes from people. I'm a people watcher. Um, I try to help people as much as I can, whether it's, uh, you know, developing organizations or helping children understand what they need to do. It, it comes from lots of different places. And so um,
1: when we talk, t- give us a little bit of your history, because we talked about um, mm-hmm. a little bit of your life-threatening illness. Tell us Tell us what happened.
2: Uh, So when I was uh, about 30, my children were two and eight months old, and I developed flesh-eating disease, which is necrotizing fasciitis and streptococcal toxic shock syndrome. So I spent, uh, yeah, the better part of about six weeks in an ICU having multiple operations to have. 11 muscles in my shoulder and back and half of my shoulder blade removed and battling blood clots and pneumonia and lots of different things uh, to come out the other side with a little bit more knowledge and uh, uh, some new ideas on where I wanted to invest my time.
1: Yeah I I mean that's the thing is when and I'm sorry that that happened it sounds like you kind of came out of that and kind of Um, And and this happens a lot for a lot of people is when when they become that close to um, death or being that sick, they kind of, a reassessment happens, right?
2: Yeah, I think it does happen for a lot of people. I come from a family where we've had lots of illness and at the time I just, sort of thought that it was my turn to sort of shoulder the burden of what happens in health crises. But right. um, I think what happened afterwards, the people that I met through that journey, the opportunities that came forward um, really changed the tra- trajectory of my career.
1: Right. So, in t- I mean, in t- so illness is is one way that we kind of maybe in that reflection and thinking about what we're passionate about, but how do we know? Like, you know, how do people, I I, I see a lot of people, um, you know, and especially young people kind of wandering around going, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Like How do
2: you know? How do you find out? You know, I think you're lucky if you know. Um, and I think if you know it early on, it really can impact your career choices and your life choices as well. But for me, um I don't think passion is something that you go, okay, I'm going to go and find that thing that I'm passionate about. For me, anyways, it sort of snuck up on me. And um multiple times throughout my life, I've had these eureka moments where something just settles into your bones where you have this unexplainable emotional attachment to something and that you feel like you're compelled to take action for that thing that you now believe in. I think originally passion was uh, defined as a willingness to suffer for what you love. And I think um, (laughs) for me, for sure, that's absolutely true. But, um, you know, I don't think it's often that we start with a passion and then build a business model and go ahead about, uh, you know, taking on our day-to-day chores through our work lives. I think instead we go about uh, our work and then at some point we discover that something just matters. It just matters to us. And then as we think it through a little bit more and we're ready to commit it, to defend it, to sacrifice for it, that's when the passion can actually be transferred into something that we can take action on and share with others.
1: Nice. That's a great answer. And I think you're absolutely right. I think this um, it's a bit of a myth that somehow we're born with this idea of what we're passionate about. I mean, I'm, you know, I turned 50 this year, and I feel like I've spent my life being passionate, um, but it's only this year that I've really found that deep understanding of what I'm contributing. But, uh, you know, and as a, um, I was an executive director of a number of nonprofits, and I could find passion both for the causes and for those organizations, and I was able to you know, fundraise lots of money for them, and develop partnerships, and inspire teams. Um, so I think there's also kind of layers of passion, right? I mean, we can be passionate sure. about things that we're in, um, and have energy for them. It it we don't um, necessarily. It's it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. Sometimes we have to be in things to discover it, right? For sure. Yeah. 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 So uh, what does it mean to lead then? So for me, I mean, I, where I got to was, a, you know, in, in the la- in for my, you know, remaining years, it's leadership really and learning and thinking about mm. what does it mean and what, how can we have better leaders and, and feeling like that's the impact I want to have and particularly helping women uh, move into leadership positions and or develop their leadership chops, I guess. Um, but what do you think it means to lead with passion, like as a leader?
2: So I think it's probably a little bit different for everyone. I mean, passion has a strong emotional attachment to it. There, So it's, it's got a lot of you invested into it. But I think to lead with passion means you need to be authentic, you need to be vulnerable, you need to have the conviction to and the courage to follow your convictions regardless of what other people think. Um, and to to critically evaluate whether your passion has value to others and to the world, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think you need to be able to articulate in ways that resonate with as many people as possible why your idea or a particular initiative is important to them and to those that are around them. And then you need to create a framework that allows you to do that education, to use the collective energy of the people that you're going to bring on board as they catch the fever of your passion, and to create some meaningful outcomes so that it, it really does translate into a business model. And I think probably yeah. the, the final thing would be to trust yourself and to trust those that you're going to be working with to make good decisions that are fueled by that passion um, but are informed by facts. So, you know, hopefully as you work together with people, um, you're going to define what that endpoint is, you're going to figure out what path you're going to, to take, but being aware of the fact that that path is probably going to change. And as you go through that journey, it's the magic of how that passion fuels the business and what steps you take on that path that is really the magical part of it.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, you know, you mentioned a few key things there that I think are important for leaders to understand is that the passion relates to the bigger picture. It relates to outcomes and the change. Um, I I think sometimes people get caught up with uh, thinking that how, you know, knowing how to do something, that's their passion and, and it can constrict their teams and constrict their organizations or or their work Uh, you know not everybody who has passion is running an organization but um you know it's it's kind of um it's it's in the what it's in the change isn't it it's about how things are are going to be different it's not in you know i i'm passionate about how to do this and so you all need to be passionate about that too
2: yeah i I think those are really important points and the and the fact that not only the path change, but that journey may change you as well, is really the fantastic part about it, is that you have something that it just feels right inside of you, and that you want to share with others, and you want to change the world, and make it a better place, and and just, you know, get everybody to embrace the same idea, but my experience has been that in doing that, you change, and you watch other change as well, and others change, and it's... uh, it's incredible to be part of that.
1: It is. And I love the word magic. It's absolutely right. <laughs> That's what it, it ignites. So, okay, so tell us about, and, and I have to say, it's one of my favorite names of a nonprofit I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> tell us about Global Friends and how you followed your passion. And again, just to say to listeners, what we're not advocating, and I'm, you know, as somebody who teaches this stuff, uh, not everybody needs to or should start a nonprofit in order to pursue your passion. There are plenty of ways to do that, either Through volunteering or within your own work, you can find really cool. You know, it's we're not. You don't have to change the entire world in order to be passionate (laughs) about what you're doing. But we want to just showcase a very cool idea um, that Catherine has uh, developed and delivered for many years. It's called Global Friends. I
2: love the name, Catherine. Where did it come from? Um the name came from actually another not-for-profit that I'd founded before that was called strategies for life and, uh, global friends. When we decided to actually make it its own separate charity, it had a, it had a tagline that was associated with it. And, uh, um, global Friends just was part of that. And, and as we were trying to register the company, the lawyer who was doing the work for us actually said, why don't you just call it global friends? Like, no, oh, let me think about that a little bit. It, sh- it just seemed too easy and too simple, but, um, I love it as well. I think it is my favorite it's charity awesome. name. Okay, <laughs> and, 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 and you know,
1: can I just on... say, it doesn't usually come from the lawyer. <laughs> it does That's not awesome. usually come from the I lawyer, absolutely not. <laughs> it shows anybody I... can be passionate about
2: it. <laughs> That's awesome. I just wanted That's to awesome. underscore um, one of the things you were talking about is saying that you don't need to change the world because you're passionate about something and you don't need to start a not for profit. And in fact, I would encourage people not to do it or to think about it very, very carefully before they do it because um, not for profit work is hard. It's really hard. It's it's not respected in many cases still as being real business, being real work. It can be very lonely. Um, it requires you to build community and to overcome distrust from uh, people who are donating to your cause and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, it's hard yeah, work. And we can yeah yeah we can talk about it more if you want later uh, on. But, definitely, um, definitely. Th- and is. it's
1: and it's it's also not the only business model out there for making change so absolutely we'll talk okay. about that in a second uh, we could probably do a whole mm-hmm. show on that I think. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> so we do tell job. us <laughs> tell us about your passion and, and how i because you you started another nonprofit and then you s- moved on to this one so clearly you were following a journey and a path so how did you get to global friends and tell us what you do yeah
2: so global friends came out of um a project that I was doing for Strategies for Life. So Strategies for Life started because of the uh, experience I had with flesh-eating disease and toxic shock in that there was no one to talk to at the time uh, I actually went through that experience. And I went from being a very healthy 30-year-old with two bubbly, strong, happy children to essentially being told that I was going to die um, within a few hours. And when I came out at the other end, I was afraid that the same thing could happen to my family. I have to confess it was a totally selfish establishment of that organization. It's that I wanted to make sure that my children weren't in jeopardy of developing the same illness and that people that we knew and loved wouldn't have it. So started strategies for life. Lots of wonderful things happened, including the eventual um, appointment of me being the executive director for the Canadian Foundation for Infectious Diseases.
0: Wow, and we were great. doing a
2: climb. Yeah, we were doing a, a, um, a fundraising climb up Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. And while I was there, I had access to all of um, the the Canadian researchers who were doing work in AIDS and HIV. And I used to always say. Infectious diseases have has an impact on the global community, and I come from a fairly good background. I live in Oakville, so we're in we're in a really nice area. I'd really never had any encounters with anything too difficult other than this health challenge that I had and I thought I feel like a hypocrite when I talk about um, this global impact when I've never even seen it. So I asked um, before we were doing the climb up Kilimanjaro, I asked to for an arrangement to be made that I could meet children who were living in extreme poverty and were HIV positive and people who were in the end stages of AIDS. And that was really my introduction to what extreme poverty is. And people who have seen it firsthand um, understand it, and it's something you can't take away once you've seen it. To be able to describe it to to someone is almost impossible because we don't have the context, we don't have the experiences we don't have the hopelessness that will never escape it, yes, so I got True. to see some things that were really um uh horrible and scary and impactful on me as an individual, and I spent a lot of time with um when I wasn't you know in an, in an armored car and behind bars and being protected but being protected by people with guns, I spent a little bit of time playing with some children and I met a a little boy who was 12 years old who was the same age as my sister who sorry who the child was the same age as my sister's son my sister was dying at the time and this the last day that I was in uh, Uganda this little boy came up and essentially said, "Well you saved my life and oh, wow. it really changed my perspective on who I was, what influence I could have, how um, intimately we are connected to even strangers all the way around the world. So I I left him, and there's lots of nasty things that happened with that as well. I left him and went on to Tanzania to meet this team of 32 people who were excited about the adventure of their life to climb to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, and we reached the highest point in Africa And as I was climbing, I I met someone who said, my brother helps orphans in Tanzania, will you help him? And it was really the culmination of that request and the request of the little boy that um, brought Global Friends to light. I I wasn't looking to start a not-for-profit that was helping uh, vulnerable children who were living in extreme poverty. It just sort of evolved on its own. And I... When I came back to Canada and, and started talking about it, I think that's really when my passion for it started developing. Because um, I was told so many times that these children didn't matter, that um, the problem was too big to solve, that it was it was their fault, that they were in such dire straits, and oh, wow. I just thought you are so wrong, and that child will not be okay. People were always saying, you'll be okay, everything will be fine. And I thought, nope, I am not the same person I was when I got off the plane in Uganda, and that little boy will not be the same, and there are thousands of them, millions of them around the world that are in the same situation. And I think it was really the the lack of empathy and the lack of commitment for people to believe in what, what what I saw as strongly as I did, that really fueled the development of Global Friends.
1: Wow. Amazing story. Thank you for, well, and, you know, thank you for picking up the, it was kind of like handed to you, wasn't it? It was, um, and I don't mean that, like that in it. a privileged way. I mean, it was, uh, We we have these moments in life where we, where we decide, am I in mm-hmm. or am I bypassing or am I paying attention? And I just feel like you were really paying attention and that little boy kind of, and sometimes those are the moments and it shows, you know, what we were talking about earlier that, you know, we're not born coming out and saying, this is my, what I'm going to do in the world. In actual fact, it, it requires um, learning and listening and paying attention to what's going on. And then, like you said, being willing to step into sometimes spaces that may feel impossible
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you were talking at the top of the show that, you know, women leaders, that we are, we're really good at incorporating empathy and collaboration into the plans that we do. And um, that certainly has been my experience, particularly with Global Friends. Yeah. So, in terms of
1: Global Friends, so we just want to... you know, put a a couple of little nods in there in terms of what you're doing now. Um, So we're going to talk about that in just a sec because I want to share with people that you're doing a a virtual climb. You're going to be doing an in-person climb but have had to... Shift. I mean, it's so weird. You, you do all this work in infectious diseases and it's come full circle for you in a way, right?
2: <laughs> it's, it's yeah, we used to, when I was running the, the Canadian Foundation for Infectious Diseases, we used to talk about the pandemic and preparing for it. And yeah. um, I can assure you that the, the hypothetical and the reality are very different things.
1: right. Right. And again, just shows that, you know, we have to pay attention and learn along the way with these things. So Mm -hmm. I do want to mention, though, I just and I didn't mention this at the top that um, Catherine has also been the recipient of the YMCA Peace Medal Award and Leading Women Community Award. And so, you know, um, you're clearly you've been recognized for your work in a number of areas. But with Global Friends, it sounds like it's a personal and you've how long how long is the organization going now? 12 years, 12 years. So it's, it's a personal mission, but also, um, you know, you've, you've kept it going because we do know how hard it is, um, to start something and you know it's easy to it's easy to uh, feel good about the thing you want to do it's easy to come up with the idea Um, it's almost easy to start it sometimes because you know uh, all our friends and families are very excited and they give us a few bucks and off we go Um, but then keeping it going so how how do you keep the passion going in your work and how do you think like as leaders when because passion and again I just want a a bit of a myth with passion is that every day we're going to turn up and it's going to be wonderful and you know so fulfilling and you know and no it's not it's hard so (laughs) we have to tap into the higher purpose sometimes so how do you do that Catherine
2: yeah, yeah, I think you you touched on a whole bunch of things in that introduction there is that um, you know, keeping it fresh and keeping it going is very is very difficult. So I've run Global Friends for 12 years. Entirely as a volunteer, so we had one employee who was my son, actually, who did a fantastic job for not quite a year. But other than that, it's run—it's been run entirely on volunteer, by volunteers. And I've—I've I've worked um, at my—I call it my real job—throughout that entire time. And um, yeah, it's been tough. It's been—it's exhausting. Um, it takes up a lot of time. The—the the passion. I think sometimes we have the misconception that. Passion is this euphoric, um, inspirational, awesome feeling that just keeps us going. But oftentimes passion can be heavy and sad and um, really difficult to deal with. Um, but in the when we're talking about a business model, because we're talking about women in leadership, um, I think your question was, is passion necessary in in the business model? And I don't think it's necessary, but it certainly is a powerful motivator and source of inspiration for you as the leader and for the people who are working on your team along with you. I think we always want to do, you know, do our best work, do things that fulfill us and um, make sure that we make the most of the opportunities that we have for others. Um, But we want to share that passion and augment that passion to do good. Um, If you're going to incorporate passion into a business model, I think it's essential that we understand why, why you and others should actually act on that passion, because you shouldn't always act on passion. Um, no. There's, um, there's a, a motivational uh, guy, his name is Simon Sinek, who says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I yeah. think that why, in his statement, is really what the passion is, all, is really all about. Why I, Why yes. do
1: we do it? Yes, and why do we care about it and why should others? Absolutely. Well, and you know what, Catherine, I love that you were able to set this organization up and I appreciate you sharing, you know, your journey today. Um, what We've got about a minute to the break, so I just want to say how can people support you and Global Friends right now?
2: So there... Probably the single project that we're looking at right now is uh, talking about adaptation and collaborating is we started a new program called Stop the Spread. So um, what it is is we have a vocational training program. Our goal with Global Friends is always to lead to self-sustainability, and we did vocational training to teach youth who are at risk how to sew. And so what we've actually done with Stop the Spread is ask them or hired them to make masks to share within the community so that the spread of COVID-19 is reduced as much as possible within their community. So far, so far we've made and distributed 10,000 masks, and we've actually become part of Uganda's strategy to fight COVID-19 in, in their country. So if people oh, want to donate that, we're actually, we're actually trying to hit 20,000 now. So we have a, um, a fundraising page that's just GFF, so the acronym for global friends foundation Mask at causebox.com and we would love it if people would support that
1: okay and love the model you've got uh, kids working and helping their own communities too so thank mm-hmm. you and you can also um check out global friends website for reach the peak your new virtual climb so um, make sure you know it, it, if you're feeling like you want to help this is a really great place to start so thanks so much Catherine, for being here today Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to be back after the break. and We're going to be talking with Susan Crawford from Meraki Inspired, coaching and consulting about self-care. One of the key pieces around keeping our passion going or even knowing what it is, is not being burnt out ourselves. So find out how after the break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership, as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code radio for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the what not to do school of leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, You'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be.
0: You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. Don't forget that you can can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap.
1: Hey there. Welcome back, the Pico, Your host. Uh, what a great chat with Catherine Mulvale before the break, uh, we're talking about passion. And um, as we were talking about, doesn't require you to go out and start a nonprofit. It is hard running a nonprofit. I tell you that, um, but doesn't mean you shouldn't either. So we really, it's important for us to understand that passion is that deep caring. And sometimes it's a deep caring about a problem that we want to try and overcome. And it might be in our organization. It might be in the world. Uh, it might be in our own life. Um, as Catherine mentioned, and and it's funny because she called it selfishness, but I don't think it is. It's actually often our deepest cares come from our own experiences and wanting to protect the people we love, so um, you know, and care about. And so, in leadership, often that's where passion comes from for leaders too—is kind of you know wanting to protect and to advance the you know the work of their teams. So, um, but. In order for us to feel it and carry on, it's really important for us to look after ourselves. And um, sometimes what we do, when and I've seen it in nonprofit land a lot, and I see it in business, particularly with founders, we kind of sacrifice ourselves for the cause. And that is not um, how you're going to win the long game. And so I'm always very uh, cautious about uh, saying to people to give it your all. No, you give it as much as you can and you get, some back for yourself in order to keep going up getting up and 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 going and, and making the change you want to make so luckily we have Susan Crawford here today to talk to us about self-care and how to keep ourselves going especially at this time uh, I don't know about you but uh, we were just talking about this every day feels like a you know a, a different experience sometimes I want to change the world, sometimes I just want to change my Netflix uh, show. <laughs> so
3: um,
1: so let me tell you about Susan. Susan Crawford is a dynamic coach, facilitator, and speaker. She's the founder of Meraki-inspired coaching and consultation, and a fiercely courageous woman who left her corporate job to create a life that gave the balance and freedom she craved. Passion right there, folks. Uh, Susan works with super women who feel lost, frustrated, and overwhelmed, juggling the pressures and expectations of life and work. She helps them learn how to say no without go without guilt, conquer self-doubt with compassion and courage, and live each day with purpose and limitless possibility. Susan, welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you so much, and It's great to be back.
1: So good to have you back. So I need my a little self care and I'm so happy you could come in and talk <laughs> Don't to we us all? about this. I know, I know. So um so
3: you and and you know, how are things going with you? it it's an interesting balance between, I think, as you said, you know, going after it every day and hustling hard, as everybody talks about, and then taking the time to rest and recharge, because I don't know if we as a society even value the, the, the stopping or the pausing. It's always do more, yeah. do more, be productive, yes. and that doesn't always work. It's not sustainable.
1: No, it's not. That's such a good point. It's absolutely not sustainable, as we have found you know it's certainly not exactly. sustainable in the face of massive change like we've we've um, been seeing
3: exactly and if we if we can't even give ourselves permission to stop and just assess where we are or what we need as you said it's the recipe for burnout and so many of us don't have the luxury of burning out because there are so many things on our plate yeah well and
1: and then i've seen the other side of it which i've i've actually seen some people talking about um being uh, not wanting to go back to air quote normal because they've mm. actually set down the busy. So maybe people yeah. are commuting and, you know, getting kids to daycare and all that, and that they're actually feeling more connected uh, in a way mm-hmm. to, to a lot of the people in their lives than they ever have. So it's an interesting thing because we can kind of look at it from the other side too, right? Which is, yeah. ooh, like maybe this is a great place pause and and how can we keep some of the stuff we're doing to look after ourselves going after
3: yeah I'm definitely one of those people in that category that's just you know looking and saying wow I don't have to you know chauffeur my kids to swimming and to school every morning at a certain time and then be there for pickup so that you know we're not paying extra with after-school care like there's just a um I guess it's a luxury, I guess, but there is a slowing down and there is just so much more appreciation for like those little moments that we have back now. Like I'm noticing my kids are getting taller in the last eight weeks, whereas I was probably too busy to notice those little things because life was happening. But this is a a kind of cool life that's happening right now too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting piece. Like you said, we don't often take the time to reflect on where we're at and and what we want out of our lives. So this is one of those Mm -hmm. moments. Exactly. So you use a a three glass balls analogy around this kind of self-care topic. Tell us what
3: that is. Yeah, and and this is not my idea. This is from one of my mentors. Her name is Rosita Hall, and she, she introduced this idea of the glass ball analogy to me, and I think it fits so perfectly with what we're experiencing now. And I think especially for women, too, working women who are carrying the brunt of, like, the results of COVID um, and what that has changed for them in their home and work life. And I know we've talked about that a couple of times as I've been on the show, um, just how much we are juggling. So if we're using this metaphor of juggling responsibilities You know, we have expectations at work um, as parents, a lot of us, in our relationships. If we're caring for our elderly parents as part of that sandwich generation, you know, maintaining our health. There's so many things that we have to do on a daily basis to just make the engine work. And so when COVID sort of struck, all of a sudden... We have all these additional balls to juggle, which is now homeschooling for some some women, meal preparation, you know, 24-hour entertainment for our kids, because I'm bored, I'm bored. You know, we're working from home now, and all of these other duties as a sign that have encroached into our our space now, it's like, wait a second, I'm doing way more than I used to be doing, and I need to figure out a way to balance what's happening here, or I'm going to burn out. Yeah.
1: And And it's a blend, isn't it? Yeah. Because uh, in a lot of ways, there's also, you know, a lot of evidence that women are taking on the burden of the work emotional labor as well as the home emotional labor Mm. uh, and also the physical labor, but there was a separation often. And so maybe we, we feel tired and we don't, but there's a separation piece, whereas now it's all merged.
3: Exactly, exactly. I know a lot of the women that I've been working with are saying, you know, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself because my yeah. kids are there. They're like attached to yeah. my hip. And it's so true. Where we used to have our commute to decompress and sort of prepare to either go to work or come home, we don't have that separation anymore. It's the dining room table and the rest of the house now. And there's not even a barrier between how do I transition from work mode to mom mode to, you know, partner mode to just being by myself. Like we don't have any space, literally and, and and figuratively, there's no space.
1: No, it's true. And yeah. even for those who don't have kids, we have, um, you know, a lot of people are suffering from, you know, that shift to remote working which, mm. you know, if you haven't done it before, there's this initial thing that happens and you feel like you need to be sending emails all the time to prove that you're working. And so, yeah. you know, mm. we have the, <laughs> kind of this overwork phase for a lot of people, uh, whether you have kids or not, you're feeling like, you know, we might be feeling scared in terms of our job security. And so then we're overdoing it uh,
3: right. in we're terms of the number in the of hours. Hour morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 working. I'm working. It's eleven o'clock, and I'm still here, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and then we're burning out because of that too, because we're not looking after ourselves.
3: Exactly, and that disconnection. There's no balance anymore, right? Where you would say, oh, "Okay, I'm just going to go grab a drink or a coffee with a friend of mine." Like we are, yeah, we are left to right. our own devices. And yes. our natural habit, I think, is just to fill time, fill space. So sign up for all those free courses and do 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 where it's like, hold on a second, there's an opportunity just to be here.
1: Yeah, and, and that's is that the, you're absolutely us. right. It's that piece around feeling like we have to be productive. We yeah, have to be accomplishing yeah. something. If, if I'm going to be at home all the time, I might as well learn to play an instrument or learn a language. I think I think the number of guitars <laughs> exactly. sold is like record-breaking worldwide. <laughs>
3: right. Exactly, right? Because we're, we're conditioned and taught that unless you're busy, you're not... You're being lazy, and that's one of those things around self-care. It's like, well, hold on a second. If you're taking care of yourself, does that mean you're being lazy or selfish? And it's totally not that. No, and that's, I love how you,
1: and just let's talk about that because the I really like how you refa- reframe self-care. So tell us about, you know, in terms of, we talk about self-care and, and I always struggle, I, I use the term because it's a term that people are familiar with, but right. um, we often think about self-care as, you know, getting a massage or getting our hair done or, and then a lot of external stuff that helps us feel better, like chocolate. I do mention chocolate a lot um, and I apologize <laughs> right. to all those who are now hungry Um, so but there is a a reframe that you put forward around self-care like how can we think of it differently so that we're more mm, attached mm -hmm. to it
3: yeah well let me uh, paint the picture of the glass balls and i'll tie in the the reframe around self-care because i think that that might make it a little bit clearer so we're here juggling all of these different responsibilities and expectations on a day-to-day basis and the analogy proposes that imagine three of those balls that you're juggling are made of glass and under no circumstances can you let those break because those are actually the most important things in your life that could be your family it could be your health it could be your 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 parents um those three things are the the keys to making everything work. And what happens for a lot of people is that when they're juggling all these balls, they forget that they have to be one of the glass balls that doesn't drop. Right. Right. They have to consider themselves one of those non-negotiable essential pieces to this puzzle that if they are not at their best, if they are not taking care of themselves, the rest of the machine doesn't work. And so that might mean right. having to let go of some of the other expectations and things that you're juggling or balancing on your plate and saying, no, I need to take time for myself right now.
1: Okay, so I just want to jump in there because that just that just really hit me because when I think about it, um, often we think of the glass balls as other as uh, yes. all the things that we're having to juggle. And so then we're like when we drop them, it's our responsibility and our fault but to reframe that as a self-compassion piece Mm
3: -hmm. and kind
1: of think about it as I am one of them really helps understand the priorities, right?
3: Exactly. Exactly, because there are so many competing priorities that most often we forget to put ourselves on that list. And when we reframe it as self-compassion, like... If you have a friend that is struggling, you know, drowning in work or life that just is barely keeping their chin above the waterline, what would you say to that friend? You need a break. Yeah. You know, take care of yourself. If you need to go for a walk to ge- decompress at the end of the day, do that. You know, we would be sharing all of this love and compassion to that friend. What yes. I'm proposing is self-care is self-compassion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that we're just as important as other people, and that's what we sometimes forget.
3: Yes, and well, because and if, that, if that glass ball breaks, yeah. think of how many other things will be impacted. It'll have a ripple effect on your entire life, on your work, on your loved ones, on, you know, your environment that you're in. We have to consider ourselves one of those glass balls and protect ourselves so that we don't burn out.
1: Yeah. And Susan, so I mean, you've done you have a master of social work, and I've done a lot of stuff in social uh, related things. And I I think, um, you know, when we think about this, often, what it comes down to is a sense of worthiness, right? Mm. So what do you think impacts? Our sense of worthiness, and and without going into like a lot of the the big sociological issues, but on a day to day basis, like why is it we don't consider ourselves as important as those other things? Do you think?
3: Well, I think part of it is because we're scared of being judged, right? right. We're, we're all we're all putting on a show, whether it be for our for oh, our role models, yeah. our our mothers, our friends. Everybody has to have it all together, right? We all mm-hmm. have to be. Fitting into these little um, boxes and saying that I need self-care or I need self-compassion or I need help or I need to stop or I'm overwhelmed. That just invites, oh my gosh, what, you can't handle it? So I think we're afraid of the criticism and the judgment. And so we continue to put on these masks of I can do it all. I can do it all myself at our own expense. Yeah. And it's also, and I think, I think
1: you're absolutely right. It's, it's judgment that, that desire to be liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are we valued for? Like, as women, what what are we valued for in, in society? It's this stuff. Yeah,
3: yeah. it's how much you right? can do, how, and how well you do it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so yeah. I think, too, the excuse then we use is, well, I don't have enough time. Well, there's not yeah. enough time to, well, and, and because the perception of self-care is go get your hair done, go get your nails done, which is great. That is also part of it. But when we look inward, when we look to heal ourselves, when we look to, to, to recharge ourselves, it's way beyond the external appearance. And sometimes that's the hard work to do. So we say there's not enough time because we're juggling uh, all of these other things. Yes. But that's really, those other just... things become distractions.
1: It's true, and you've just triggered something that I was pondering the other day because this is these are the thoughts that I have as I'm sitting by myself and <laughs> looking out at the world, wondering when I'm going to get my hair cut. Um, <laughs> is that we do frame um, our self-care often as women. Interestingly, as these external things like getting our haircut, getting a massage, they're kind of their appearance related, they're physically mm-hmm. related, they're getting my nails done, like it's all that stuff. And um, you know, it's an interesting thing that during this this crisis, those all those things are not available to us. So we've had mm-hmm. to figure out how to, you know, and not maybe care as much about, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I, I laughed because I was watching a lot of the, the initial kind of uh, enthusiasm for Zoom calls, for example, and, <laughs> you know, everybody's fully made yeah. up on their videos. And then it's kind of like, can we just have a call? So then, you know, I can see that people have come to where, where I've landed working at home a lot which is Mm -hmm. i don't want to put my makeup on just because i'm here all day so let's just go phone calls so um there's an interesting shift i think around what what we mean by self-care and i wonder if this crisis has helped us with that
3: well i think it's it's given us a mirror and said hey listen what are you valuing here and how do you Mm -hmm. value yourself I mean, if I don't have my lashes or my, my hair done or a certain outfit on to go on a live Zoom call, what is that saying about your worth that it's yeah. purely visual? We have yes. so much more to offer, yet all of these these small things are what our worth is tied to. So you have women, um, and maybe men too, like g- g- scaling back and saying, well, I can't go live. Well, I can't be on a Zoom call because my gray is showing I have a rule in my Champagne on Tuesday group in Facebook. Come as you are. I go on every morning as I am. That could be shower or not, sweatshirt, whatever it is, because we need to take away that our only value is how we look. We need to feel good inside out. That's going to radiate. And that's self-care. It's loving yourself enough to say, I am worthy regardless of what I look like because I have so much more to offer.
1: Yes, and I and this I'm, I'm it's going to be very interesting as we move back into air quote normal life, and mm-hmm. see what um, what women in particular take f- with them, in terms of what they've learned here mm. uh, about about what they care about, what's important to them, and 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 why because we see a lot yeah. of and I and I hear and I made the joke and I'm but I'm not really that concerned about my hair because I'm more concerned about people being sick and dying you know around me of course so. Mm-hmm that's a moment where you go, okay, well, that society has always said that that's really important in terms of being a woman, that that's inherently uh, part of my self-care. And now I can't mm-hmm. even do it because I have all these, you know what I mean? Like, it's super interesting yes. that we're, we're actually being forced to really consider our priorities here.
3: Yeah. And I think a lot of us are being forced also to look inward, right? Yeah, if yeah. I am not beautiful or perfect or this according to whatever standard, what am I? Who am I? Right? When we're not doing our jobs, like our work, and if we are defining ourselves by these other labels, it's like, wait a second, when those labels don't exist, do you know who you are on the inside? Yes. And so there's yes. a great opportunity here to do some introspection and reflection of, you know, who, who do I want to be? On the other end of this crisis, on the other side of COVID, who do I want to emerge as? Do I want to be the person who only looks at the external, hiding all of maybe the, the um, shame and guilt and all of the other stuff that you've been carrying and masking? Or do I just want to express myself fully, knowing that there's good, bad, beautiful, messy, and be that? Because there's so much less stress when you can just be yourself.
1: Yes. And I think we're finding it a lot of people in terms of their even workspaces where, you know, um, you know, if I turn up with jam in my hair because my toddler was just (laughs) (laughs) came to give me a hug. Well, maybe that's, you know, okay, Right. Because I gave my little my little guy a hug and off he went. And now I can I can join you in this meeting. Mm -hmm. So there's something different with like when you mentioned shame. It's so, mm-hmm. so uh, important um, to realize that, you know, the shame is not in looking after ourselves and the people we love, right? It's right. we're worthy, they're worthy, um, we're, mm-hmm. people, are, people are worthy. It's not all about, you know, work and money and appearance.
3: Yeah, and when you remove the excuses of there's no time or, well, my hair is not done, I can't get together, I guarantee as soon as this quarantine is lifted and you can go visit your family and you can visit your friends and hug them, it won't matter what you look like. No. None of that will matter. It will be, I am so grateful that I can be here with you physically And I think that idea of self-compassion is letting go of the facade, of the masks, of the pretending, and just allowing yourself to be in every moment fully, as yourself, whatever that is.
1: Nice. And the hugs. I think people, I see it all the time. People are like, I miss hugs. Like, it's just (laughs) the simplest free thing that doesn't... Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't cost but creates connection in that moment. I miss hugs. I see it all over the place. So, uh, you know, I do. I think you're absolutely right, and that's a beautiful thought, that, you know, we really will um, embrace the things that really matter and that uh, Mm -hmm. we will know what we missed which is which is awesome so tell us about your new program because you have a new a new program that you're you've launched and um, yeah you know and I can and I need to just say like you know this isn't an easy switch so having support from somebody like Susan is actually uh, could be a deal breaker for you in terms of getting through this this time so tell us how you're helping women
3: Well, um, I think that, well, I believe that this is a time to reset. And I think, as we've discussed, there's a chance for a lot of women to start looking at their lives and saying, what do I want to take with me? What am I leaving behind? And what do I want to create? And so um, the new program I just launched is called Find Your Way. And it is all about that introspection, deep dive, self-reflection on what do I need to do and who do I need to be to start living the life that I want. And I think it. part of that is, is self-care and really it's, it's tuning into your inner GPS and finding your coordinates so that you are taking steps in your life, whether it be professionally, personally, in a relationship, in how you parent, how you lead your life, but you're doing it from the sense of this fits for me. And it's okay if it doesn't fit for anybody else. It's okay if it doesn't make sense for anybody else. But it's really based on four principles, self-compassion, like we've talked about today, believing that you are worthy of having these opportunities and taking care of yourself and making these decisions, your character. So talking about who am I and who do I want to be without
1: the label. Awesome.
0: awesome. Susan, we've got, 15, we got about choice.
3: 15 seconds. Just mm-hmm.
1: throw, if you could uh, share show, show the website, where can they find it?
3: Um, You can email me at uh, Susan at MerakiInspired.com or check out MerakiInspired.com.
1: Okay, cool. So find out the other two with Susan by email or website. Check the show page for her details. Susan, thank you so much. I'm sorry I have to rush. We're going to get cut off. that's okay. Thank you so much. (laughs) So let's go look after (laughs) ourselves. See you next time.
0: Absolutely.
1: Thanks. See you all next time as well. Look after yourselves in the meantime.
0: Thank you for joining us this week for the Leadership Leap. Liam Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you make a successful leap into leadership.